Welcome to a place where we combine equal parts science, technology, design, and entrepreneurship. Then we gradually stir in magic to the mixture, and you have the Perception Podcast. Join us in conversations with design heroes, inspirational thinkers, business leaders, and trailblazers across the globe. This week on the Perception Podcast. Finally, after a lifetime of anticipation, Jeremy Lasky of Perception meets the Jeremy Lasky of Pixar Animation Studios. Lasky began his film career at Pixar in 1997 as a layout artist on A Bug's Life. He then worked in the layout department on Toy Story 2 and Monsters, Inc. Lasky served as director of photography on the Academy Award-winning films Finding Nemo, Wally, and Toy Story 3. Golden Globe-winning feature Cars, as well as Cars 2, Finding Dory, and Cars 3. Currently, Lasky is working as director of photography on Pixar's upcoming feature film, Lightyear, set to release June 17, 2022. So, teleport with us now on the ultimate perception mind trip as we step into the Jeremy Lasky multiverse. Welcome, Jeremy Lasky, to the Perception Podcast. Thank you, Jeremy Lasky. It is uh, it is so nice to talk to uh, you or me or us. I don't I don't know. It's, uh, it's been a long time in the making. Yes, it has. It's crazy. Uh, it, it's crazy that we finally were able to to connect the stars and line everything up and and make this happen. I you know I was thinking about when I first reached out to you. I think it was 2010, maybe 2009. It was somewhere around that time and I tried emailing every possible permutation of Jeremy at Pixar, Jeremy L at Pixar, Jeremy Lasky at Pixar. I was a new parent and I had been hearing all about my name in the credits of all these Pixar movies and uh, I thought I gotta I gotta see who this guy is. Do you remember getting an email from yourself around that time? Oh I do and it freaked me out. It was like wait how did I, you know, it just felt like some weird visit from the future or, I mean, it was, it was sort of before the multiverse became a thing, but if that would happen today, <laughs> I, it would just be a whole different story. But yes, it was very weird. And I had seen your name in Marvel credits by then, um, certainly. And it was mm-hmm. like, wait, oh my, and I, I just, I had never gotten around to looking you up. Um <laughs> And no, it was, it was, I, my, it was, it was a seminal event in my life, knowing there was another Jeremy Lasky <laughs> out there in the same, you know, industry, basically. Yeah, it's just a, a crazy parallel. Um, but, you know, I thought this would be great to have for, uh, for all eternity, because anytime uh, someone asks <laughs> me uh, if I'm you, and certainly I think you're a lot more famous than I am, uh, I'm just going to say, uh, I got a podcast episode that explains it all, and uh, I just can't wait to be able to uh, to forward that along. Um, have you ever gotten mistaken for me, really? Um, yes, I've had a couple of people come up to uh, to me at at Pixar at work and say, "I saw your name in the credits of you know whatever the movie was, if it was Ragnarok or if it was something like." Did you? Was that mm-hmm. you? And then just a few weeks ago when the studio was finalizing credits, all the credits um, for each film get archived so that there's a record of who from Pixar worked on them. And they take out all of the vendors and things because they're just keeping internal record. And I got an email from the woman that, that runs that, um, that department. And she said, your name's twice in the credits. Uh, I'm just trying to figure <laughs> out, like, is this, um, is this a side you know business you have are you but I think you're still at Pixar like how is this going and I had to explain and she was very amused uh I also had trouble for the first time signing into or registering for Pix, you know Pix account to view stuff online uh, mm-hmm. because you had gotten yep. there first so when I emailed and said my name is Jeremy oh, Lasky, and here's my email address they wrote back and said could you have used a different email address and I said no nope, never never had a different oh, one God. and you know, the, the guy in customer service wrote me back and said, are you sure? And I said, oh, I'm positive. Oh, here's what's going on. And now I am like Jay Lasky one when I log in. So, yeah. Wow. Sorry cool. about that. You deserve it, man. <laughs> 
Well, why don't we uh, why don't we find out a little bit more about you? Because I'm I'm so curious to hear about your background and your upbringing. Um, so let's just start off at the at the very beginning. You know, where where are you from? Where did you grow up? What did you want to be when you grew up? Those are those are good questions. Uh, I was born in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, and if you if any of your listeners are from St. Louis, the answer to their question is Parkway Central High School. Um, so I was born in 74. Mm -hmm. So we're around the same age. We just discovered a minute ago, which I kind of suspected. Mm -hmm. I think our, our kids yep. are around the same age, which is also fascinating. Um, I, yes. uh, I went to, you know, school through the, through there thinking maybe, maybe I'd want to be an illustrator or an author and an illustrator. I mean, when you're a kid, like, you don't know, special effects seemed interesting. You know, like we grew up around mm -hmm. all of these kind of great sci-fi fantasy movies and um at the time i've been talking a lot about to press about lightyear and saying you have to remember when we were young people you know people of our age when we were young you saw a movie in the theater maybe you know mm -hmm. you, and you could rent something if you owned a film mm -hmm. you would probably recorded it off of tv or off of cable because at, at the early stages mm -hmm. of you know beta tapes and and vhs tapes if you bought them in the store, they were very expensive. They were not designed for consumers to buy unless they were, you know, wealthy, which uh, we were not. So it was the, the access to films was, was more limited, right? So any movie that came out, you pretty much went mm -hmm. to see, even the bad ones, because mm -hmm. maybe, maybe there would be something and there may not be something else coming for a, for a little while. Um, so I, you know, I was kind of fascinated by that stuff, but didn't know what to do with it. Uh, through high school, I did a lot of drawing and painting and I was fortunate to have a, uh, the department head who was the, the main art teacher in our high school was like the best in the state, just coincidentally for a public high school it was mm -hmm. amazing. Um, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I had an illustration portfolio or, a, you know, like a fine arts portfolio that got me into, Rhode Island School Design for college, where I thought I would go and be a, a Disney animator. I wanted to be a drawn Disney animator. This was Lion King time. Like, wow. you know, Lion King had come out. Sure. I started college in 93. Um, and, uh, you know, you, 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 you mature in college. You discover some things. You learn that maybe what you thought you wanted to do isn't what you wanted to do. Uh, I had, you know, to, to be a Disney animator at the time, you had to have an amazing anatomy drawing observational portfolio. And I, you know, mm -hmm. I was, I was decent, but not great. I mean, not the best. Like you come out of high school being one of the top artists in your grade, you know, in your graduating class, and then you go to college right. and you're like, oh, everyone is that. So it's like, okay, let's start mm -hmm. over. Um, I was taking a bunch of drawing and painting and illustration courses. I was taking animation courses at the same time. Um, RISD does a thing, or at least they did then, where you either came into animation through illustration or through film. And then your senior year, mm -hmm. you could do an animation thesis and you could take classes along the way. So, sorry, and the animation program at that point, was that all traditional animation or was that was that CG already? Oh no, that was traditional that animation. Uh, when I was there, they so had- cell animation, yeah, light tables. It was light tables. It was the, um, the department head for animation was um, more of a, uh, she came from a abstract background, abstract animation background. So, you know, mm -hmm. we had a guy who did his senior thesis that decided he was going to get a bunch of mercury and animate it uh, by breaking open a bunch of thermometers, mm. which, you know, he's now a famous artist someplace and hopefully his health is okay because that seemed real dangerous. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was, it was yeah. much less character animation focused and much more experimental animation focused but I did have a couple great teachers gotcha. there that were sort of early animation pioneers or not early, but, you know, from the 60s, 70s animation pioneers, um, Yvonne Anderson, especially. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and the more I, I got into animating, the more I realized uh, I didn't actually enjoy it. The thing that I really liked hmm. was 
figuring out what the story was going to be and putting it together. Like, how is the viewer going to process this information and how are they going to experience it visually? And, you know, I storyboard mm -hmm. out everything and then I do a rough like version that I could edit together. Um, and it was all drawn uh, and it was not abstract. It was, it was narrative, but um, goofy. And, uh, and mm -hmm. kind of once I had that put together and I would cut a little reel together, I was good. I felt like I've solved the problem for me mm -hmm. and now I just have to make it. Like now I have to do all the other stuff. So the idea of going and being an animator at Disney at the time, which is different than Disney today, was not great. Mm -hmm. Disney at the time really wanted animators that could just draw and would do what they were told, um, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And that kind of killed it for me. Uh, so I had kind of like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not really a background artist. Like that doesn't seem right. Um, I was taking some live action courses and some photography courses. I don't know what to do with this. And then in 1995, I saw Toy Story. So my junior year, mm -hmm. um, we had an early screening like the week before Thanksgiving break at the, student, at the, at the uh, school. Um, and it like, it blew me away. Not so much the technical aspect mm. of it, which was neat, but the story it was like, wow, this is, this is a movie that is for me. There are no singing princesses in trouble. There are no like right. goofy sidekicks and the jokes are really good. Like the characters are great. They're funny and they're playing on stuff I love. So I was like, mm -hmm. what do I do with this? Um, I, it was an animated uh, film that could be appreciated on so many levels and for so many different audiences. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it didn't, I, I wasn't exactly sure how it was, how it was made, but I had a feeling since it wasn't drawn, that there was something else there that maybe would be for me. So that, um, it was the, that summer, I think, uh, and I, you know, it's a long time ago, so I'm a little fuzzy, but that summer, my pal <laughs> Angus, um, who's Angus McLean, the, the director of Lightyear Now, had an internship there for mm -hmm. animation. And he was working on the, the then direct-to-video Toy Story 2. And he, emailed me and said, hey, we got a presentation from a guy that is, is in charge of the layout department here. And this, here's what it is. And it sounds like the thing you keep telling me you want to do. So that was like a big switch. So then it all became, you know, wow. how can I get into that? And it kind of went from there. So Angus ended up uh, graduating. Angus got a job before he graduated and he started. So I, sorry, sorry, Angus is at RISD as well. Angus was at RISD as well. We became friends. We met the first okay. week of classes because we happened to have gotcha. classes together in, in freshman year. So we've been friends since then. Um, and then wow. we ended up working together right after graduation. He started in June, I think, and I started in August. And we were on different films for a while. Uh, but, you know, it was it's we were kind of coming at movies from slightly different angles and in college we had mm -hmm. done a bunch we had done our projects together like we had not the same project but he would sit and work and I would sit and work and we could bounce questions off each other um we also were were both very um uh we worked a lot I mean we were very serious took it very seriously and the deadlines were scary and you know this whole thing um yeah I learned a lot about animation from him, which uh, was kind of stuff I wasn't really getting from the professors at the time in terms of character animation, but mm -hmm. he already kind of figured mm -hmm. it out. So that was great. Uh, it's, you know, I, I could say that he convinced me to cut class senior year from the animation uh, <laughs> class so we could go work on our films together instead of doing exercises that at the time we thought were silly and probably you maybe weren't now that we're grown up uh i was you mm -hmm. know i'm i'm like a like a follow the rules guy so so that was the first time i had ditched a class like wow. on purpose like oh like i'm this is not right like not like i'm sick but like i'll see you later so yeah uh, you know sometimes you learn a lot from people oh for sure i want to i want to talk a lot about the transition from from RISD to pixar but i i kind of want to go back a little bit 
um, since we grew up in pretty much the same time. When you were uh, when you were a kid, what were, were there any animated cartoons that were really uh, influential to you? Was uh, was there anything you were watching um, as a young boy that made you think I want to do cartoons when I grow up? Um, not necessarily. Not when I was little. When I was in junior high and high school, and the mm -hmm. second Disney kind of renaissance came out with, you know, Little Mermaid. I wasn't a huge fan of, but but Aladdin. Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, mm -hmm. uh, I was in. Like that, mm -hmm. th those movies are beautiful. And that really got me like, oh, maybe this could be a thing. Like, that's really interesting. Because I just, you know, I growing up in St. Louis, you don't really know what's out there. Like, I, you don't know what all the opportunities are. Yeah. And there's no internet. So you're either reading Starlog or you know maybe Cinefix, but that mm -hmm. was that magazine was a little too expensive for me at the time. Uh, but boy, was it nice! So it was right. mostly just what can I see on the on the grocery shelf stands or you know the actual bookstore. Um, I was, but live action was mm -hmm. the thing for me, like sci-fi, fantasy, um, you know what what all that stuff. And even Jurassic Park came out when I was a senior in high school. And I'd read the book and then seeing it. And then, mm -hmm. you know, I, I bought a book that I still have behind me on the desk, on the shelf, like a making of how they did all the puppetry and when they tried CG and the armatures and stuff like that. I was fascinated. Like all that stuff was like, that's really neat. So, mm -hmm. um, so those were the things. I mean, what was, what was it about you that like, what got you going? I want to go into this media. I was just going to, you know, say that, you know, I, I used to, uh, love cartoons as a kid saturday morning cartoons you know hanna barbera all yeah. that stuff uh you know i'd watch it after school uh you know, he-man and transformers or whatever was on after school and my dad who was a huge influence on me he was actually an art teacher a high school art teacher uh and he got me into drawing very young and he he always would show me like you know compare disney cartoons with the stuff on television it was night and day you know, the, mm -hmm. the Hanna-Barbera stuff was just, you know, a, a, a static character that the only thing that moved on the character was the mouth. And maybe they <laughs> blinked every few seconds. And then I would watch a Disney cartoon and everything was fluid. Everything was animated. Everything had motion and, and grace and, and everything was dynamic. And that made me really, really pay attention to the art of animation and, you know, who did it well and who were the masters at it. So... You know, seeing that as a young kid, the, the hand-drawn stuff and how it's evolved with, uh, with everything you guys are doing, you know, it's, it's just incredible, uh, you know, to watch the, uh, the continuing uh, evolution of it. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. And you, and I just want to poke it. You mentioned, um, you mentioned Hanna-Barbera for me, I watched because that was what was on, but, and you mentioned after school stuff. So mine, right. that camp as an elementary school kid, and even even later now, was um, the Looney Tunes stuff, particularly any of the Maurice Noble designed episodes where you just have these amazing like painted mm -hmm. backgrounds that, I mean, all that stuff. As a kid, I didn't really get it, but I remember seeing it and thinking like, that's cool. Yeah. Like that, that's different. Um, and then after school was Transformers and G.I. Joe. And the killer was, uh, you know, yep. I went to Hebrew school two days a Voltron. week. Voltron. Oh my God, Voltron. Yes. Uh, and we have Robotech on <laughs> Sunday mornings. Thundercats, Silverhawks. Uh, yeah. Man, I'm old. Um, yeah. But we'd, you know, you'd watch like good. a GI Joe episode, and I was I was home every day after school, except Tuesdays and Thursdays I went to Hebrew school, so I would always miss the second and fourth mm -hmm. parts Same. of any five part like GI Joe cycle. Right, like the Mass Effect device, like oh, okay, well, mm -hmm. I guess something happened. So here we are. It's Wednesday. Yeah, no, no DVR back then. No, very frustrating. I think a lot of that is where the, the toy <laughs> nostalgia comes yeah. from for those those characters. Like everybody grew up with it, and then you're always trying to get back the thing you couldn't hold on to at the time because there was no DVR, you know, and mm -hmm. you could buy some of the toys and hope for the best. Yeah, I mean, trying to explain to my kids that you know you had a race home to be. To, to watch your the episode of your favorite show uh because if you missed it you missed it that's it there's no there's no youtube there's no dvr there was no uh recording of it 
you know, so we all had our favorite yeah. shows as kids and you just had, you had to be home at that time and you had to be in front of the set ready for it. And it's all you look forward to all week. Yeah. I've, I remember I've tried to explain that several times and half the time it's like, I get through the explanation and my daughter or son, usually my daughter will like look up and say, and you know, she'll, she'll hit pause on whatever she's watching on her iPad and say, right. What did you just say? I'm like, never mind. <laughs> Yeah, it's everything's on demand. Everything's at your fingertips. So, um, yeah, so tell me a little bit about now the transition from from RISD to Pixar. You know, I can I, I imagine there was a lot of technical skills and expertise that that needed to be learned quickly uh, to make that leap. Uh, yes, but it, you know, it, let me set the stage a little bit. And if I'm talking too sure. much about whatever i'm sure you'll edit it out or you'll tell me to shut up which is totally fine um no, i keep going you know i uh made my senior thesis film which was hand-drawn on an oxbury animation stand filmed in 16 millimeter film or actually eight mil uh, might have been eight millimeter i don't know if we had the expensive oxbury's at RISD. i don't remember um so in order, and it was all set to music. I was animating to a score. So in order to see if it worked, instead of blindly shooting on the Oxbury, which is time consuming and expensive because uh, you're paying for film, um, I would videotape everything frame by frame in my, in my dorm room or whatever onto, uh, in, through a VHSC camcorder, which, is you know the height of technology, um, and I had a PC hooked up, and I would import stuff into Premiere, and I would edit it. So if you can imagine, like a tiny room in this old house that was you know that was divided up into dorm rooms that was built in the early or late 1900s, because you know Providence is a lot of great old buildings, um, with a really really crappy tripod and my parents' VHSC camcorder that they allowed me to to, buy, to borrow um, kind of taped everything together so it wouldn't get bumped. Turning that into a down shooter with some weird plug-in that I bought at Best Buy. And, you know, like one image at a time uh, and then editing it together, like really sort of do-it-yourself hacky. How does this work? What can I do? And, and cutting it in Premiere. Um, and it worked and it played. And when I went to apply uh, to Pixar, I had some films that I had uh, put to VHS and um, I had some photography and I wrote a letter and you know, I had a, a, a guy named Scott Clark that graduated a year ahead of us from RISD who was friends with us was working on A Bug's Life. And he mentioned me to his producer mm -hmm. or his um, associate producer. So she was kind of looking out for my reel or whatever. So I sent it, I sent it mm -hmm. in. Now, the film wasn't done yet. There was no way to output the film from Premiere that I could figure out onto like a VHS tape. So I had to film mm -hmm. it off the screen. So I took the same camcorder, aimed it at my monitor, and filmed what was a 320 by 200 res output of this movie because wow. that's what would play at speed. Um, and I'm crazy. I just, I mean, and that was what you did. Like I had a jazz drive to yeah. hold all this stuff with one jazz mm -hmm. disc. I had to convince my parents to buy a second jazz disc, but like that's what you had. Um, that's what it was. Sure. So, I, I look back on that submission and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, this is bizarre. Um, and, you know, and I had a couple phone calls with um, someone at the time who's no longer here that was sort of one of the technical people because everything then was on, was in Unix. And the software was, you know, was, was virtually like the software was decent, but layout there as opposed to animation still had a lot of um, like uh, programming to it, like not actual programming, but you had to work in the text editor a lot. So that was, mm -hmm. they were worried about that. I had no Unix experience. Mm -hmm. uh, I had no 3D experience. Right. Uh, RISD at the time had mm -hmm. like three SGI computers 
that were kept in the attic of the uh, illustration animation building, the animation building, and you had to have a key to get in there to use them. And I never knew, you know, like there was no training about it. So I didn't know what to do with them. So I, didn't mm -hmm. um, so I, I kind that of intimidate you the, the, no, it didn't really, you know, honestly, it was like, I, so I went for an interview there after I graduated. So it was, I'd come home to St. Louis. I'd been talking to them already. They flew me out for an interview. Mm -hmm. I was interviewed by like 10 people at a time at the one time, which was intimidating. Wow. That's intimidating. That was intimidating. Yeah. Um, and the guy that was in charge of layout at the time, uh, who's, you know, was a, turned out to be a fantastic mentor, uh, took me back to where the layout people hung out after the interview and showed me what he was working on. Like had a shot up from a bug's life and like was explaining to me how it went. And he's like, do you, does this make sense to you? And I'm like, oh yeah, this like, I get it. And I, I knew that I could catch on to the other stuff because I've been using, you know, computers in some aspect since I was a little kid. But uh, it, I think it was it was not really a that wasn't the challenge. You know, it was like this is my first job, and uh, that was intimidating enough. I think just like I have, I'm working with a bunch of people that are that are have been doing this for a while, and I'm out on mm -hmm. my own, and I gotta figure this out but you know Pixar then and kind of now but then especially it was was like a startup like it just felt like a startup college campus environment you know it was very loose people brought their dogs to mm -hmm. work if they wanted um you know there's like a pool mm -hmm. table out in the corner and you know it was it it felt like a startup except we were in a warehouse and everything was from some secondhand store otherwise was it still Emeryville or was it in a different location no we point? were in Point Richmond at the time, which is okay. north of here. It's like right across the bridge from Marin. So Pixar, okay. when they were part of Lucasfilm, was in San Rafael on the other side of the bridge in Marin County, which is north of San Francisco, mm -hmm. if you're not familiar with ge geographically. And then when they split off, they got big enough that they moved to this, um, you know, like kind of corporate, you know, you building. There was a mechanics bank next door to us, mm -hmm. like in the building. There was some other stuff around, you know, you mm -hmm. all shared a lot. There was a big, ugly fountain out front. Um, and inside, they had kind of turned it into whatever they wanted. They had cubicles up and, you know, crappy furniture. And the screening room was all donated sofas and armchairs, like arrayed out on to trying to watch dailies and stuff. Um, you know, they had made Toy Story kind of on accident, not on accident, but it's not like they really knew what they were doing and they would admit that, mm -hmm. you know, they were just the first film and now they're making a second one. Yeah. They're bringing on more people. It's a more complicated film. It's a lot to, you know, for a little company to try to figure out. So they were figuring it out. I was figuring it out. The directors were figuring it out. Uh, you know, I, that Bugs Life was like the best graduate program I could imagine. And they paid me. You know, it was John Lasseter, <laughs> it's co-directed by Andrew Stanton. The editor was Lee Unkrich. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can't get better than that. Bill Reeves was the supervising technical director. Um, you know, these are the like giants of computer animation, which at the time, I don't know that I realized. So that was the first feature you got, you got involved with was a bug's life. That was, uh, I think that came out in 98. When you got when you got there, yep. was it right at the beginning, or did you have to jump on board of something that was already, you know, moving really fast and just kind of figure out uh, how to get into this thing? Um, they were they had two sequences, they had three sequences finished in layout when I started, and mm -hmm. you know the so they were they were moving, but it wasn't at the speed yet of you know movies always build up like the production builds up yeah. to a really quick pace. Um, and it's a combination mm -hmm. of, oh shoot, we're getting close to the deadline. And we've been working together for long enough, we just get faster at our jobs. So at that mm -hmm. point, it was still early that it was kind of, the pace was, was certainly reasonable. Um, and the layout department on Toy Story wasn't really a department. It was like two people that really understood the job. And then they borrowed a bunch of other people that were just helping out. 
And it was really about making shots that the animators didn't have to. The, um, the supervisor on our team, uh, Ewan Johnson had this, this vision of the department that it would really be cinematography. It would be the camera side of cinematography. The studio hadn't entirely come around to that yet, but that's how he was hiring. And there were no other studios doing this work. So you can't find someone that already has experience doing 3D virtual cinematography. You have to figure out who those people would be. So I'm right out of school. Mm -hmm. uh, there was, there's a couple people on the team that came from Skellington that had worked on Nightmare or James and the Giant Peach as camera operators or camera assistants. Um, we had a guy that had done some video games from LucasArts, but was an amazing landscape painter. It was, mm. you know, like there was a guy from a match move studio, but, you know, but it's like everybody had the same filmmaking like bug, right? Like in the same mm -hmm. visual design, shot design, uh, you know, bug, I guess. And it just was this really group of people from all different backgrounds kind of coming together to figure out how to be a team and make this movie. Um, you know, Andrew Stanton was learning how to be a director. He was, as the co-director, mm -hmm. he was trying to figure that out. John Lasseter was still learning how to make movies. Lee Unkrich came in and he had been editing Toy Story um, for a bit and then came on now as the full-time editor of, of Bugs Life. And he came from a live action background. So he was instrumental in pushing us towards think like a live action movie. Don't think like a cartoon or don't think like a TV show. Think like, how would you really do this? Like, what would, what would the shot be? We started thinking about coverage. You know, how do you cover a scene in animation like you do in live action, meaning shooting it from multiple angles or possibly changing the blocking a little bit to try something to see if it works. We were very iterative with editorial, which was a, which is very different in animation at the time than what it usually was. Um, so we were all kind of figuring it out together, which was which was super neat. That's amazing. So what what would you say your big break was? Was it was it Finding Nemo? Was it was it something else that you would kind of call out as like this was the this was the moment for me? That is really interesting. I've never thought about it that way, believe it or not, and I think. It was, it's pretty incremental. It's like on a Bugs Life, I mm -hmm. had two moments. I remember working on the scene where Flick gets on the dandelion and sails across the canyon, which is really just a dried, you know, like, like not even a riverbed, uh, sails across this canyon to mm -hmm. go off and find, you know, heroes to save them from the grasshoppers. And there's a lot of, you know, that shot was, that scene was was nicely boarded and pretty simple. And I pitched to Lee, I had shown him a bunch of uh, different angles to try. Like, oh, you know, I just was building different things and it caught his attention, right? Like he was working really closely with us, but I think he saw something in the way I did that. That was like, oh, now I'm gonna like, yeah. You just, when you get people to notice who you are because of your work, that's a break. And for me, that felt like, oh, like I'm, I'm actually mm -hmm. understanding this and people appreciate it. And then there was a, there was a moment later where um, we were, it was towards the end of the film in reality. And it was towards the end of our production where, uh, spoiler alert, the villain Hopper is fed to a bird. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, it's only, you know, 20 something years old um hopper's fed to a bird mm -hmm. and the the boards you know are very were all hand-drawn back then there were no computer boards no photoshop it was all hand-drawn and you know it was just a pretty simple sequence he gets lowered down and the bird closes mm -hmm. his jaw and you know he screams and we go down the throat or whatever route and i remember thinking i just i want to make it punchy like i wanted to make it feel like threatening so I, I animated, and I use the term animated loosely, I animated the bird model we have doing this kind of like, like the little chick would like raise up out of the nest and do a really quick snap of his jaw. Like, oh no, I'm sorry, it wasn't the, it wasn't the, it was the actual bird. Hopper gets away 
for a quick second. Like he kind of scrambles away and then the bird mm-hmm. is leaning over him and just does a quick like peck and grabs him back up in his, in his beak to lower him down to the kids, uh, the, the chicks. And I just decided to try it like Jurassic Park. Like what if that bird was a dinosaur? Like how would that thing work? And it was like a velociraptor, right? And it was really fast. And there's a sound effect in there that was in there for us. It was just this like snatching sound and the beak closing, snapping. And I just did this quick, like three frame grab. And Lee came in to our little pod and he said, I just cut that shot in. And when I first played it, I jumped out of my chair. And I was like, great, okay. That's the best thing I've heard all year. Um, so, you know, wow. I, I just, at the time, it wasn't about like thinking even of a break. And and I went from that film to Toy Story 2. Mm-hmm. When they turned it into a feature, a bunch of us went over to work on that film because they restarted it. And then I went to Monsters, Inc. Uh, I was on Finding Nemo. And um, partway into the beginning of that film, mm-hmm. I was promoted to the, the layout supervisor. And that was like the first time I'm like, okay, I, now I got to do this. And I have to, I have to supervise. <laughs> uh, everyone I was supervising was older than me, which was a challenge. Like when hmm. I was 26, when I yeah. did that movie and uh, it was scary, mm-hmm. right? It's like, I, you know, I don't, I'm going to have to, direct sure. people that uh, have more experience than me and anywhere else are senior to me. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the way I tried to handle it was just treat them as if you are not their boss. And, you know, like just, right. hey, why don't we try this? And here's why. And I found that the more I explained what I was thinking, and, and left myself open to someone saying, ah, but what about this? Uh, it it kind of worked. And I got better mm-hmm. and better at that as I did this job more and more. But um, at the time, that was, that was a big fear on that show. And of course, having Lee as the co-director on Finding Nemo meant I had like a backstop. Like from a cinematography point of view, he wasn't mm-hmm. going to let anything dumb happen in the movie. So I was like, okay, I can, you know, it was a great place to start mm-hmm. uh, because I wasn't out on my own with directors that had never done this before, which is a whole different problem. It felt like a safety net. Totally. You know, so much has been talked about the, the Pixar creative process and, 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 you know, how innovative it is. How has it evolved uh, in your time there? You've been there uh, for a long time. Has it, or is it pretty much the same uh, process that you were doing back then and as you're still doing now, just obviously with more sophisticated uh, tools and uh, better and better technology? I think the heart of the process is the same in terms of, you know, a movie will mm-hmm. take, let's say, five years to make. That's, that's about average. Um, some of them take a little longer. Some of them take slightly less. It depends. And the beginning three years of that process is pre-production, meaning they're writing, you know, the, the director pitches an idea, the director is, is writing, usually mm-hmm. with a writer, they get approved to go to the next step, and they're storyboarding, and they're working on art with a production designer, and, you know, really working things out, and we're constantly putting the film up on reels, like full version of the movie, up in storyboard form, cut together with temp dialogue, scratch dialogue from people at the studio, and, you know, temp music from other films and just how does it play? How does it play? And that's never changed. The fact that we spend so much time up front getting it right. And when I say getting it right, I mean, getting it right enough to start making it. It's never right until it's done. Um, and, and we're mm-hmm. continuously reworking things, working and reworking things all the way up until the film is, is locked for release. So like right now, you know, and I say right now being, this is April 22nd, we have a couple mm-hmm. dozen shots left to final visually in, you know, in the theater and say, these are done, but we've still been tweaking things up until now, just 
little things. And, and in some cases, as of a couple of weeks ago, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, let's rearrange a few of these shots to tell this story better now that we're seeing it. Like maybe we're missing this. So the more we can get something up and watch it and the more open we can be to making changes, to reconsidering it, like that's really the heart of the Pixar process is that it's never done till it's done. Now, mm -hmm. that can be expensive. Um, you know, there's other... There's no, there's no, uh, there's no print anymore. Like you don't have to, yeah, all right, no, print. Thank God. You don't have to do that. You got, but, you got all, you could go all the way to the end. It just gives you that freedom. Well, yeah. I mean, you can't really go all the way to the end. At some point, the folks in mastering and, you know, release, it's close. We've gotten pretty close. We're, we're working on title sequences sometimes. And I get an email that tickets are available on Fandango for the show that, you know, that's <laughs> opening in two wow. weeks and we're still putting the finishing touches on a title sequence. It's happened. Wow. Believe it yeah. Or not. I don't know that we've cut it that so, close. Uh, that it's a little is scary. really scary. That is really scary. Yeah. What's the, I, I'm not going to say uh, which film. Fine. <laughs> I, you know, I, I should have known better. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's that revision process. That's really the, the heart of it. And the actual how we make the movie has evolved over the course of, of the films. And, and I think one thing that is really important is that every film ends up having its own version of the pipeline, right? Like there is a, there is a standard Pixar pipeline that runs through all these departments, but it gets shaken up and rearranged on every film to to work best with the director, to work best with the look of the movie, the story, the people you have on your team, um, all of those things can can reshuffle. So I I really like that we are open to doing that every time because it's not a one filmmaking is not a one mm -hmm. size fits all medium. So I'm going to ask you a couple of uh, quick questions about all the films at Pixar. What is uh, your favorite? Pixar film that you've worked on? And then what is the, your favorite Pixar film that you haven't worked on? Uh, my the favorite film that I've worked on is, has up till this one, up till Lightyear, been Wally. -E. And, and mm -hmm. I think Lightyear is edging that out. Um, and that can be for a variety of reasons. That is not necessarily, you know, like a Rotten Tomatoes score of how much I like the movie. It's, it's often <laughs> how much I like the movie or what I felt like we accomplished in that movie or the people I got to work with and the collaboration I got to enjoy. You know, it's, it's all different reasons. Um, but, but, you know, mm -hmm. and, I, and I, don't, I don't say this just because the movie is releasing, but Lightyear was really a fantastic time. Um, and it was a fantastic group of people to work with in a... Uh, on a very difficult film that could have gone sideways any number of times, just in terms of the amount we were trying to do and the scope of the project and the look. Um, and, you know, we, we just had this amazing team and we believed in each other and supported each other and we pulled it out. Uh, and it's like, those are the memories that I carry from movie to movie. Mm -hmm. um, best that I didn't work on, I, I go back and forth a little bit and my top films that I did not work on are Ratatouille and mm -hmm. uh, Inside Out. Probably Ratatouille gets a little bit of an edge, but Inside Out mm -hmm. is very, very close. Gotcha. Well, you, you brought up Lightyear a couple of times and I want to dig into that uh, if we can. Uh, I know that uh, that's coming out very soon. And by the time this uh, goes live, this podcast, it will be out. Um, what's the story behind Lightyear? Give me, uh, give me the whole backstory. How did it get developed? Um, and t tell us all about sure. it. Sure. So um, the movie came from Angus McLean. I mean, he, he had made, uh, you know, a number of short films. He made Small Fry, which is a, in the Toy Story, it's like a Toy Story tune that is very funny, very Angus. Uh, he made Bernie, which is the short that comes um, with the Wally DVD, which is also very Angus in terms of sensibility. Uh, I mean, everything Angus does has his stamp on it. He made Toy Story Terror, mm -hmm. uh, which is the 22 minute 
TV special. Yeah. And, you know, then it's like, okay, mm -hmm. well, now you can pitch some features. And he pitched some things. And one of the things that he, that he pitched to the studio leadership was this idea of, you know, what's, what's the movie Andy saw that the Buzz Lightyear toy comes from? Mm -hmm. You know, like, what was Andy's Star Wars? And, mm -hmm. and they're like, yeah, let's do that. Uh, and it was, it was this, it, it, it just kind of evolved from there. You know, it, in that, that Lightyear is definitely has some personal elements from Angus. Um, he also, there's a style to it that is very much what he enjoyed about films growing up as a kid. And what you and I, I'm sure, enjoyed about films growing up as a kid. You mm -hmm. know, there's a, it, it has this big sci-fi adventure feeling. It also has a lot of heart, but I think you walk out of the movie just kind of going, wow, I had a great time. And that's the feeling I remember as a kid walking out of, you know, good and bad movies, to be honest. Um, just like, that was great. I love that. Thanks for taking me. And I want to see that again. Um, so it really came from him. And then it was, it's a, it was a lot of, uh, it was a lot of work with him and the screenwriter and, you know, mm -hmm. people involved are just like, well, what, who is Buzz? What is Buzz about? And how do we make this mm -hmm. work as a character outside of, you know, kind of a couple, a couple one note jokes in, in these other Toy Story films? And how do we not make it a Toy Story film? Because it is definitely not. It is, I guess, technically mm -hmm. in the Toy Story universe, but very tangentially. Mm -hmm. um, you will not see right. the other toys other than Zerg show up in this movie because they're not part of that world. Even the little green men are not part of mm -hmm. the Buzz Lightyear universe, actually. They are the Pizza Planet universe. So there's a little different mm -hmm. kind of thing there that, you know, we don't, we don't see them. Um, it just, and it, it, it just became, you know, he'd, he'd pitch it and, and you just kind of go, yeah, when can we just make that thing? Like, can we do that now? I, you know, I'm on this other thing, but like, that sounds great. When are you gonna be done with that? Well, we're still, okay. Uh, and it, it just, I mean, it's hard to describe. It's like that movie was exciting from the beginning but it was a very different kind of film than it is now. And it has gone through a number of changes and iterations, which is part of the Pixar process mm -hmm. to get it into something mm -hmm. that is really working. Um, you know, making movies, it's very hard to make movies, as you know. And you, you mentioned that uh, you guys start, uh, it's usually a five-year process. Did this start five years ago? It did, five or five and a half, actually. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's, it is a long so, haul. So much of this, or at least a couple, couple of years of it were, were done during COVID. Yes. Our uh, entire layout portion of the film was built working from home. Um, wow. And, you know, and most of like, we were in the middle of pre-production on the movie when we, the studio closed and we were all sent home. So I had been on the film for a little bit, doing some early pre-production, and then we're at home. And of course, like everyone else, you know, it's like, ah, oh, we'll be back next week. So you don't really think about it. You're like, oh, I'll just right. do this. And then it was like, right. ah, maybe we need a couple months. So let's start bringing in equipment, setting up and doing whatever. And then it became clear, just watching the news. It's like, yeah. Figuring out our yeah, Which they pipeline. had to do to finish Soul. So, you know, we were not the first film to hit this. They had to finish Soul. Um, Luca was made at home, Turning Red was made at home, and Lightyear mostly at home. Mm -hmm. You know, the studio is open now, but still not fully. Um, you know, it is not everyone is back, and it's mm -hmm. it's a slow ramp up process um, with a lot of careful monitoring, which is great. So you know, it's that was definitely a challenge, uh, and and it it had some advantages. You know, it's there's something. There's something kind of, um, kind of special about if you have everybody virtual, you can have more people in your meeting because they're not taking up space in a room. You know, like I don't have to pick who gets to come into the edit suite 
for review because the edit suite seats six people or whatever. I can have as many people as we want. Um, right. You know, when Angus is talking in meetings and people are talking to him, we're all the same size on in the screen. It's all the same size box. So right away, the hierarchy gets flattened a little bit just from that. Uh, everybody's name is on their box, which is also neat because it means when he's talking to someone that he doesn't know yet, he sees their name. And now he knows who that person is and he gets reminded every time he talks to that person. You, we, we found we got a lot more, um, a lot closer as a, as a camera group, as a cinematography group with Angus than uh, faster, I would say, than closer and faster than most other films, just because we could be there more. We could actually be there. Um, plus, you can attend meetings and work at the same time. I, I don't know how I would have been able to function without being able to do that. It's a, it's a huge win. Um, you know, and even we still talk about even, you know, I would do walkthroughs with the layout team every afternoon. And first of all, normally that would, I would do that going office to office. And I would talk to that one person and there maybe be someone taking notes or making sure I'm going to the right place, you know, a manager or coordinator with me. And in this case, anyone that wanted to on our team could show up and, you know, you could just watch what other people are doing. You could hear notes I'd give. You could give notes yourself, you know, like, oh, did you ever think about doing this? Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, mm -hmm. let's try, you know, Rob's idea or whatever. Um, you, it was, it, it also became this like social time, right? Where you're trapped by yourself at home, um, especially for mm -hmm. people that didn't have families, that, you know, that are young, that don't have families yet. And they're really alone. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, well, we got an hour that would sometimes stretch into two hours where we hang out. Like, let's talk about the Marvel show that showed up on Disney Plus last week. Did anybody see that? Or, you know, like, oh my gosh, let me show you this YouTube clip or whatever. It just mm -hmm. was this great way to bring the team together and, and get a bunch of work done and make the movie better because we were all collaborating on the same stuff. Well, finally, my name is in a credit sequence and I can honestly say, yes, I, I did work on it. So I think that's like a huge, uh, <laughs> a huge milestone in my life. Um, so I'm, I'm super excited to see it. I watched the um, uh, trailer reaction this week with uh, Chris Evans and Taika uh, that they, you guys put up on Twitter. Um, it's, it's, it looks awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited for people to see it. I think it's really fun. I think it's going to surprise a lot of people um, just in terms of the story and the feel of it. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you guys are into it. And the fact that we both get credit on the same film uh, is kind of monumental to me. Like I'm super proud of that. And yeah. I, you know, I had nothing to do with getting perception on the film. I wish I had thought of it before they did because uh, it's pretty great, but um, no, it's, it's, uh, it's awesome. And, you know, maybe we will have future films together. That would be incredible. Um, something, you know, that I, I, I'm always uh, blown away by is how with every Pixar film, you guys find a way to just, ratchet up the you know the, the technical sophistication and the artistry is there any technical challenges you guys are still trying to solve i, I feel like you've, you've figured it all out now whether it's uh, you know water or, or hair or or cloth you know when you look back 27 years ago at toy story and then you look at the work that you guys are doing now you know it's obviously come so far how much further can it go? And what are some areas that you guys are still looking to, uh, to push into? You know, I, yeah, we're not done. And I don't, I don't think anything is done. I mean, it's just, it, no matter how, uh, no matter how the technology improves, we find ways to make the same movie within the same amount of time for the same amount of money. Because even though, yeah, we should have solved this already, it, it can always be more sophisticated or it can always be more stylized in this case. If you watch, mm -hmm. you know, Turning Red, for example, there's a lot of real technological mm -hmm. innovation in that film that may be overlooked because it does have a very stylized, you know, look to it. Um, and it's the same thing, you know, with any movie. And now it's, it's more about, okay, well, we know we can do it 
but how can we do it and have it look differently, right? Like we don't really want it to look photo real. And mm-hmm. Lightyear is an example of, you know, yes, it tends to look more real, quote unquote, than our several of our previous films, mm-hmm. um, but it is highly stylized in more subtle ways, mostly in design. And we're dealing with other challenges. Like, how do you make something, how do you, how do you shoot a ship flying through space and have it look like it's moving? It's just a void out there. Like, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. How do you technically do that? And then how do you convince the audience that that looks right? And how do you make it look similar, but yet different to everyone else's versions of traveling in space? You know, we don't need to reinvent the, the wheel, mm-hmm. but, um, but you do want it to feel part of this movie and not like suddenly, oh, that looks like this other movie exactly. Because your audience then goes away. Right. You know, you're out of the movie. Um, this is the first Pixar film we are originating in IMAX. At least 30 minutes of it is an IMAX. So mm-hmm. that was a big thing. Like, how do we, how do we make that work? Um, you know, there's some artistic challenges there. There's some technical challenges, a lot of pipeline challenges. Uh, but, you know, that's not something I would have thought of uh, five years ago or 10 years ago or whatever. But here we are. Um, there's always stuff. There's always stuff. And it's, you know, it's all about like, how do you, how quickly can you respond to the director? Some of the challenges are just speed, like turnaround speed, you know, which I know you guys face too. Like how long does it take to get this render back? Or how can I work more interactively in the system and see more things at once? You know, we've, we're collaborating um, with all the other teams in the early previous stage on this movie and one of the big challenges in CG, as I'm sure you know, is you have two cinematographers. You have a camera DP and you have a lighting DP. It's the same person in live action. And historically, we have always shot the film and then lit it because lighting is expensive and it's a per shot, per camera sort of iteration. But that's not how movies are made. You don't, you don't light the finished image, you film the light. So it's we've been really working on how can we do that? And we came closer on this film. Is it perfect? No, there's a better system. We just haven't gotten there yet, but it was pretty good to the, to the extent that, you know, Ian McGibbon, our lighting DP could uh, work in shots I was working on, try a bunch of lighting things and we could go back and forth and say, oh, look, that shadow is doing something really neat. Let's put that behind Buzz and keep Buzz, you know, only lit on this side of his face or, stuff that you kind of take for granted in live action, right? Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna compose mm-hmm. to these shadows or I'm going to blow out the background and have Buzz as the silhouette in the foreground in focus. And that's my composition, right? I'm putting stuff in to block the light, but it's this really graphic shape, which is what the movie is all about. So being able to see that early is a, was a big technical challenge um, and a pipeline challenge too. You know, how do you, how do you take an apartment that goes at the end and move up enough of it at the beginning that you still get the end done? Are you guys experimenting with any real-time rendering, like, uh, like game engine type stuff, like Unreal or anything that you're developing on your own? All the time. I mean, I, you know, mm-hmm. I'm such not the technical guy, but I will tell you there are projects yeah. going on all over the studio for for different things, including, including you know, real time. How can we, how can we be doing this stuff mm-hmm. together? And, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't even know. It, it always feels like whatever is being innovated is like, oh yeah. You look at it and you go, that looks great. And they go, okay, good, because uh, you know, can I get that on my movie? No, but three movies from now, you can have it. You're like, okay, great. Um, but we got you this, you know. So. There's always this feeling, I think, in any studio that, oh, someday, someday it's all going to come together. Right. And then the someday obviously never happens because that's impossible. You know, you get the thing and you use it. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, this is good. Now I want this. You know, so you keep like, you know, the, the tools team who's amazing is just like, wait, we just gave you this thing. That's what you told us you wanted. Yeah, but what if? <laughs> You're like, okay. Right. Really? You always want more. All right. We can, we can do that. It's gonna, you know, start talking about it. Do you know what's next for you, or are you just focused right now on, on wrapping uh, Lightyear? Do you do you uh, do you have a? Can you talk about it? That is. 
Oh, I can talk about it. It's just not interesting. Um, I don't know what's next in terms of films for me. I am excited to take a vacation when this is over. And uh, yes. we have our we are having our second uh, layout intern class, second ever layout intern class starting this summer. So I am planning on uh, teaching a chunk of that because I love doing it the last time. Um, we had one before that, awesome. that got interrupted at the end by COVID. So we were remote mm -hmm. with our interns for a while, but this year we've got a new group coming in. They're going to be in the studio, um, teaching them layout, cinematography, all the good stuff. Um, and ah, it's awesome. Like just the energy in those classrooms is so phenomenal. So I'm very much looking forward to coming in to do that. And then I don't know. I really don't know. And I'm not just telling you that, so I don't have to tell you what it is. I don't know what the thing is. Well, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure you'll keep me posted or I'll be just looking for my name in IMDb and seeing if there's any new updates. But thank you so much, Jeremy. Nice. This was a, a real honor and a, and a pleasure to, to finally get to know you a little bit. Um, everybody uh, go check out Lightyear. Um, it's going to be incredible. Uh, and of course, stay for the end credits uh, to see both of our names in it. <laughs> um, Thanks again. Yeah, thank you. It's, uh, it was great finally connecting and really getting a chance to talk. And that wraps up another episode of the Perception Podcast. As always, send any questions and comments to ask at experienceperception.com. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. Sign up for our weekly newsletter on our site, experienceperception.com slash contact. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, please go to iTunes and write a nice review. See you on the next episode.